you uh, walk to uh, any bookstore in the self-help section, uh, any major bookstore, they'll have a, a, a fairly large section of self-help books, books that help us to improve ourselves, whether it's in our business life or uh, commercial business or our personal lives as well. And so there's a, you know, a lot of uh, advice, a lot of best practices out there that help us to perform at peak level. At the same time, in the secular world, there is a growing realization that even as we strive to uh, perfect our per uh, performance, even as we strive to improve and get that extra level of uh, performance, there is a growing realization that um, consequent to that, there is a growing level of stress, um, growing level of uh, disillusionment, growing level of anxiety in uh, you know, the, the business world or in the workplace. And so in recent years, there has been a counter movement, well, not exactly counter movement, but a parallel move uh, for those in the secular world to realize, hey, you know, we are, we are overdoing it, um, you know, we are overstressed, let's uh, you know, go back to uh, mindfulness, uh, that's the, the, the fad of the month. Uh, mindfulness in terms of reflection, in terms of, so nothing wrong with that, of course, but, uh, you know, they're, they're taking it uh, out of uh, Eastern or Buddhist practices to, you know, um, slow down, uh, be mindful of the moment, do some meditation and reflection, and, um, you know, top CEOs, like the CEO of Twitter is one such um, proponent of meditation using Eastern practices so that you know, you're, you're, you, know, you have it together, you're not overly stressed um, and uh, anxious. Uh, but of course, the gaping hole in all of that is that they are talking about mindfulness, but perhaps uh, the, the biggest flaw is, of course, there's no notion of God. It's more of your self-reflection to get to a level of uh, inner peace. But there is no doubt that there is growing realization, even in the secular world, uh, that this issue of anxiety, uh, this issue of being overstressed um, is a major factor. And uh, anxiety is uh, something that feeds uh, on us in uh, uh, unexpected ways and you know, the effects of it crops out in, in uh, a lot of different manifestations. Um, there was, there's uh, Skip Heisdorf, um is a pastor in, of Calvary Church in New Mexico. He tells this story uh, of a lady who uh, had undue concern over her home being robbed by a burglar. And so it was a festering uh, thought that she had to grapple with uh, that one day, you know, a burglar will come in and, you know, rob the place. And... Uh, so she had that for a long time. And so one night uh, when uh, her husband and her was uh, in the bedroom, they heard something downstairs, the two-story house. And so the husband um, uh, took a look, went down to take a look. And uh, can you guess uh, what was wrong? Yeah, there was a burglar. And, and so the, the husband uh, said to the burglar, I I'd like to invite you to come upstairs to meet my wife because she has been expecting you for over 10 years. Um, and so, so the moral lesson is a burger can only rob you once, right? But the anxiety about it can rob you every day for decades. Um, you know, that is how anxiety feeds uh, on us. 
the, um, we're going to look at this issue of anxiety and uh, we're going to take a look later in this passage of verse, uh, Philippians 4 verse 6, do not be anxious, and the Greek word is merinau, and uh, it, uh, that, that Greek word has um, some idea of falling to pieces, and that's a, a very apt description of what anxiety does to us, to our lives, it, it it, it breaks us apart. We are no longer whole. Our thoughts are scattered all over the place. Our emotions are wrecked uh, into several directions. And so we, don't, we can't hold it together. And, that's, uh, and so that Greek word is a powerful one. We literally go into pieces uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally as well. On the flip side of that, the Bible speaks of a divine peace that God can give us. Now, I, I just want to, you know, this is not immediate to the context of Philippians, but I just want to take a step back for us and look at a biblical worldview of what we mean by peace, in particular, the peace that only God can give. And of course, Paul would have been very steeped in this uh, biblical worldview. And the peace that we talk about in the Old Testament is the shalom, the divine shalom of God. That peace is a strong sense of well-being and wholeness, your, your integrated person, you're together, um, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you're together, you're kept whole before the Lord. Of course, it, it, it does include, you know, personal serenity, tranquility, uh, you know, uh, freedom from strife, and that's all part of it, but it is, uh, the bigger picture is you, as a people, as individuals, you have a sense of well-being, of rest, of wholeness before God. And there are several um, aspects of this divine peace is, of course, the peace that God blesses his people with. And if you look at the high priestly blessing that Aaron had for the people of Israel, people called by the name of Yahweh, uh, in, in Numbers chapter 6, he gives the, the priestly blessing. And the, um, the last part of it is the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So peace is a gift that God bestows upon his people. The second um, aspect of peace is that peace as an integral part of God's sovereignty, his kingship over all the heavens and the earth. The peace that flows from the authority, the sovereign authority of God. Just to just pick one uh, passage, I take it from uh, uh, Psalm chapter 29, the last part of the psalm. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. And the result of that reign, that authority, is that the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Again, the peace that uh, the people of God receive is a gift from God, but it is also a result of his sovereign kingship. Now, in the world of Paul at that time, there is also another peace that another power offered, and it's called Pax Romana, and it is in its Latin for the peace of the Romans. The Roman Empire proclaimed peace to all the conquered people, and the way the peace came is, of course, through force of arms, right? You made peace with the Romans because they were the superpower of their day. You came under their peace, and you pay your taxes. But the, in a similar form, the people of God enjoy peace as a product of God's 
kingship and his enthronement. There is also, the Bible talks about peace that people have when they are reconciled back to God. And there's a moment in Israel's history that they went away from God, they were in rebellion against God, and um, they, they were in exile, and they suffered the punishments of the law. And in Isaiah, um, God says to his people who are coming back to him in repentance, peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. So peace is a uh, product as well that we, we are restored to the peace of God when we come back to him in repentance. Obviously, in the New Testament, we see that fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so through Jesus, we are reconciled with God. We come back to his peace under his sovereign rule and authority. And having the peace of God allows us to have peace with one another in the family of God. The basis of our reconciliation within the people of God is based on the peace we have with God. So the peace of God allows us to reconcile with one another. And also, as we shall see in Philippians chapter 4, the peace of God also allows us to respond in a peaceful, gentle manner in the face of opposition and persecution uh, from those, you know, outside the church, impressing or oppressing the church. We can respond with peace because we have the peace of God. So this is just a quick uh, background in terms of uh, uh, the biblical worldview of God's peace. Now, a backgrounder to the book of Philippians. Uh, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was in prison awaiting trial. Where it's most likely Rome, we're not quite sure, but uh, given the context of what he writes in the letter, uh, most scholars believe that he is in Rome uh, awaiting trial. And understand this, uh, when, he, when he's awaiting trial, it also meant that there is a real possibility that you know, he will be executed, that he will lose his life as a result of that trial. So the situation where he writes the letter, he's in prison awaiting for that day of trial, and uh, that one possibility is he would uh, be executed, he will lose his life. The church that he writes to uh, in Philippi, the Philippians, as a church, they too were facing uh, forms of... Um, uh, how do I call it, social pressures or social opposition. And um, we'll see that in for the case when we look at Thessalonians as well. These early churches basically operated in a typical Greco-Roman uh, town where you have a variety of gods and a variety of cultures and temple festivals. And for the sake of civic peace, and the well-being of the city, as well as commercial well-being, uh, good citizens will, will make sure that you, you, you worship the gods properly and you, you pay your respect, you pay your homage, and you uh, go to the temples. And, but these new Christians obviously did not do that anymore. Their, their allegiance was to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So it's, it's, it's quite common that these young churches or these early churches face a lot of social uh, oppression because, you know, they were the scapegoats of any bad news that the town had. It's a poor harvest. It's because this bunch of Christians refused 
to pay homage to the gods. So they were facing uh, this type of uh, opposition as well as other forms of persecution. So uh, the, the Christians in Philippi faced a number of uh, uh, opposition and persecution. I, uh, in your bulletin out in the sermon outline, I gave you some uh, references from the book of Philippines that shows us they were under persecution. Uh, you can take a look at that yourself uh, at your leisure. Now, based on this, you know, Paul facing life or death and his Philippian church facing a lot of persecution and social pressures, it is perhaps amazing that there is a strong theme or strong thread of joy that, that filters through throughout the letters. And again, I gave you some uh, scripture references from the book of Philippians. You can look it up yourself. There is this reoccurring theme of finding joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. So that's uh, one uh, key interesting fact. The second is, despite all that Paul is facing and what the Philippian church is facing, Paul can talk about the promise of a peace that transcends all understanding. Okay, so, uh, you know, we want to take a look at what does Paul mean? Uh, how can we have that joy and how can we have this peace that transcends all understanding despite all the bad news uh, that is happening around us? So, I just want to uh, bring us through what living under God's peace means. And the first uh, point that we want to look at is rejoicing in the Lord. Philippians 4 verses 4 to 5 Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, it is perhaps unreasonable for Paul to make this request of the Philippian church. After all, uh, the Philippian church might have been discouraged. Uh, Paul was their leader, but their leader is in jail facing the trial of his life. It's uh, in, in that kind of culture that's bad news because it means that perhaps your leader is misguided and whatever he told you might be off. Uh, if, if not, if he's, if he's a true apostle, why is, he, why is he, you know, in prison? And also, it might, uh, it might be an unreasonable expectation for the Philippian church, uh, given that they are facing a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition. They are facing a lot of setbacks and bad news. And so the expectation to rejoice in these circumstances seems to be quite unreasonable. What does Paul expect of his people? What does Paul mean? To kind of help us understand that, I'd like to take us back to the first chapter of Philippians when Paul says about rejoicing even though he's facing a time of trial and possible execution. And I'm just reading from the uh, last part of verse 18 of chapter 1 to verse 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, quite similar to what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 4. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, his imprisonment, his facing trial, his possible death, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, actually, the whole of uh, uh, several passages or several verses in uh, Philippians chapter 1 gives us clues to understand how is it possible that Paul can rejoice even in the midst of what he's facing. By the way, if you read through that context of uh, this, uh, 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 you know, the passage here, just a few verses before, 
Paul is saying that he's in prison and other rival preachers, other rival teachers are taking advantage of his imprisonment because, you know, he's one of you know, the foremost apostles of the gospel and, you know, obviously that generated a lot of envy perhaps. And so while he's in prison, other people are taking advantage of his absence to kind of push themselves at the forefront to do the preaching and all that. But he says, you know, whether they're doing it for wrong motives, as long as the gospel is preached, I, I, as long as the gospel is preached, I rejoice. Also, he goes on to say that he's facing the trial and he's also uh, putting his hope in God. So what is the basis of his joy? Let's take a look. I think that one of the key reasons where, why uh, Paul can be joyful in the midst of these terrible circumstances he's facing is because his identity and purpose is fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. His identity and purpose is not fixed on being the most popular preacher. Uh, his identity and well-being is not fixed upon uh, what you call it, good circumstances, so to speak, successful ministry, so to speak. Uh, but it is fixed on Christ. We read in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, for, me, for to me to live is Christ, that is to say, to live is completely to serve Christ. To die is gain. Why? Because he's confident that even death will not keep him from Christ. He will be, in fact, together with the Lord Jesus Christ if they actually kill him. So, he's, I mean, you read something similar in Galatians chapter 2. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul's identity, his sense of meaning and well-being in life has totally shifted from the old life to be shaped and formed by his relationship and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second clue is this. Paul's joy is centered on Christ glorified in and through his life. He is not working so hard for his own agenda, for his own well-being, for his own ambitions. He is working so hard at all costs so that he will have the joy of knowing that Christ will be glorified in and through his life. And so he says this, at the end of uh, verse 20 of chapter 1, the reason why he can look forward with joy, even though he's facing the sentence of death, possibly, is that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So, here is where we really need to be honest with ourselves in our walk with God. A lot of times, we hope for God's peace and God's blessing and God's empowerment, but we are holding on to our identity and our purposes that is pretty much still rooted in, in this world and not in Christ. And because of that, uh, that, that concept of having joy through tribulation is something awkward and unreasonable to us. But Paul, having his identity formed in Christ, joy is the natural outflow even when he's facing the greatest trial of his life. 
And coming back to the uh, initial passage here in verse, uh, last part of verse 18 to 19 of chapter 1, Paul's joy is in anticipating God's deliverance through prayer and the Holy Spirit. I just want to unpack this for us, uh, you know, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so the, the, the church community, including the Philippine church, has been praying for, for Paul. And so Paul's joy in the midst of the biggest trial of his life is that he's no, he knows that prayers are offered, offered up on his behalf to the presence of God. He knows that whatever happens, whatever circumstances surrounding the trial, that matter has been entrusted to a higher authority. The court may judge, but there is an overriding authority and sovereignty of God. And that matters through the prayers of the church has entrusted this trial of his life to God. He is to give a defense of himself during the trial. That's typically how the Roman courts work. You will have a chance to state your case, to give a defense of yourself. And, and, and Paul's joy and confidence is that God will supply an extra measure of his spirit, an extra provision of the Holy Spirit, his empowering presence so that when Paul answers his accusers at court, he is confident that he will honor Christ, no matter what the outcome is. And so through the prayers and the provision of God's spirit, he is confident, he is confident that it will result, whatever has happened will result in his deliverance. He does say in uh, chapter one that he has some expectations that likelihood he will be released. He's confident in the Lord, but he, you know, he, the reality is he, he needs to deal with you know, the possibility of being put to death as well. So what does Paul actually mean by deliverance? That word can also mean salvation and vindication. But given the context of what Paul is saying in the, his present circumstances, it is likely that Paul is meaning, Paul means that he is confident that whether through life or death, God will save him. He will, you know, even if he dies, he will gain Christ. Huh? And that God will vindicate Paul's trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his joy, that he has given up everything. If you read, uh, you know, the whole book of Philippians, you know what he gave up. He was, you know, high status in the Jewish community. He gave that all up for Christ. He considered those status symbols and his position as rubbish. Um, and, and the Jewish people, according to Paul, was a traitor to his race, to his culture. So he has lost everything in the old life by putting confidence in Christ. And Paul's joy is in anticipating that God will vindicate his trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever happens. Uh, in the trial. And so, back to uh, chapter 4 here, now we can try to unpack, this is Paul's experience, what does he expect of his people, of uh, the Philippian church? 
And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always means that Paul is inviting the Philippian Christians to imitate Paul's joy in having his identity and purpose fixed upon Christ. Now, this is the first stumbling block that we usually trip over, right? Because as I said earlier, it's not easy for us to just shape everything. Uh, all that we hold dear, uh, our talents, our skills, our ambitions, it's not easy to say, you know, consider all of that lost, now you have Christ. It's not something normal or that comes natural to us. But nonetheless, Paul is exalting his Philippian Christians, his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi, that let your joy be now fixed upon Christ. He goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Greek word and the, the way Paul uses this Greek word, remember, is in the context of persecution. They are facing a lot of social pressures and persecution. And the Greek word implies it is a reasonable conduct. It is a giving kind response instead of vengeful retaliation. Where, you know, certain social contexts, you are expected to defend yourself. Instead, you give a gentle answer. You give a, a reasonable response instead of a hateful uh, or violent response. That's what Paul means. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So he's saying that you are being attacked. You've been accused unfairly by your neighbors. You have been called maybe insulting things. And people are beginning to take additional harsh measures against you. Let your gentleness be evident, be clear, be known uh, to all. Recently, you, you, you know, with the hoo-ha in the Christian schools here in the MGS prayer uh, issue, uh, you find that we are also increasingly in a uh, situation where we would find unfair accusations thrown at us. That's, you know, it's becoming increasingly clear. And so the word of Paul is actually quite timely for us as well. In all of those false accusations and agitation, the response of the church must be, let your gentleness be evident to all. And here, here's, why, here's why Paul says that. Huh? The Lord is near. He, this phrasing lightly refers to the Lord's second coming, the parousia. When, when we see words like that in the New Testament, it is the expectation that the Lord Jesus Christ himself can come at any time. And so he is saying, overall, you don't need to fight this battle. You don't need to want, win every argument. You can be gentle in your response, even in the face of unjust actions taken against you, unfair accusations thrown at you, and other forms of persecution. Because when the Lord returns, his justice and righteousness will be established and will be prevailed. Those that oppose you will be put to shame. So, in other words... Don't take matters into your own hands in terms of vengeful retaliation. And so, just before we leave this point, I think the key challenge here 
that Paul gives us is finding our joy fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and having our joy based on God using our lives to glorify him. So as long as you or we have our joy fixed on something other than Christ, we make room for a lot of problems, a lot of disappointments, a lot of, well, disappointments and problems will come anyhow or anyway. But if our joy is in something else than Christ, we will increasingly find that our lives are being torn apart. We are, we are falling to pieces. We cannot hold it together. And so we must find our joy in the Lord. The other aspect of living under God's peace is to pray with thanksgiving. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So having your joy fixed now upon the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're faced with difficult circumstances, don't be anxious about them, don't let undue uh, worry or anxiety make you fall into pieces. Uh, about four or five years ago, uh, I didn't really realize it as, as, as at that time, but I was going through a lot of uh, stress at the work ministry, um, the general life as well. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm used to working under stress, so I never realized that stress was building. And um, so I, you know, just continued as uh, standard operating procedure, just continued as normal. And then um, there was one afternoon um, thinking of wrestling through several issues uh, about, you know, general ministry and work. And um, I actually experienced some symptoms of a panic attack. I didn't know what it was uh, at that time. <laughs> but uh, I thought I was having a heart attack. So I, uh, you know, I, I felt my heart, um, you know, beat very fast, a bit breathless. I, I told my boss at that time, we, we were opposite, uh, my office is opposite Adventist Hospital. So I said, yeah, I think we should take a, a walk uh, to the office. So, uh, so, you know, my boss was discussing with me, should we go to Dr. Kuei first? Uh, Dr. Kuei is a family doctor, or go to A. I said, better go to A&E. So we uh, kind of made our way there. And in the uh, uh, you know A and E room, I messaged, of course, my wife to say, you know, I'm just having a check here, so that you know, uh, of course, and my brother and my CG leader, just to let them be informed. And then, uh, as they put a lot of tubes on me, I mess. I, I asked my uh, my boss, do you have my wife's uh, number? You know, just in case I don't pull through, it could be a heart attack, right? So, uh, and but that was the first time that, you know, I experienced that anxiety can have a physical response. I thought, you know, anxiety is, you, you overcome it, you know, internally, you emotionally, you're resilient and all that. But first time, I kind of experienced that it is a, that it can, there can be a physical response to that, your body responses to uh, stress that way. Uh, but praise God, uh, you know, I'm far from perfect, but praise God, uh, better now. So, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let anything cause you to fall apart. That's what it is. But in every situation, in every situation, meaning nothing 
is beyond God's care and provision. There may be some of us who believe that certain things are out of bound, even for God, because this is my personal issue. I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm, you know, I'm going to solve it myself. Um, because you feel so strongly about it, it's something that you will try to solve yourself. Or maybe because, you know, of some shame factor or some sin factor, you say, no, this is, this is on me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. Um, and that will lead on to the journey of anxiety and stress and so on. But here, in every situation, if you're living under God's peace, then nothing is outside God's preview and care. And, you know, in every situation... Uh, we can come to the Lord by prayer and petition. In the previous verse, we saw that the Lord is near, meaning when the Lord returns again, He, I mean, in full authority and glory, all injustices, pain, and suffering, that will be resolved. However, because of prayer, Christians at this moment can enter into the reality of God's presence even before the time of the Lord's return. And that is... Prayer, that is the heart of prayer, that we come into God's presence and we present our petitions before God. Petition itself tells you that we are appealing, we are, we are uh, uh, petitioning a higher authority. And with thanksgiving. This is uh, thanksgiving and prayer, uh, thanksgiving and praise that surrounds our life of worship and prayer it is a very powerful spiritual weapon against all kinds of uh, anxiety. Um, that few years that I was undergoing a lot of anxiety and stress, and in fact, until um, you know, recent years as well, uh, one of the factors, not the only one, was um, this, this issue about um, you know, my company, I mean, the company that I work for, how we're going to survive and... Um, you know, my personal well-being in that company, you know, uh, is, we are a, a fairly small company, so you need to be very innovative. You need to make sure that you're relevant and all that. And um, I realized that looking back now, it was very difficult to um, pray, pray or praise with thanksgiving because uh, some issue is just weighing you down. And I realized, and God tried to prompt me a few times that, uh, yeah, you... You know, that, that your, your identity, your sense of well-being is so rooted in the company, in the success of the company, uh, that that is something that you will not let go or you find difficult in letting go um, and finding your joy or rather finding your purpose in Christ. And so something I had to wrestle with and a long time I tried to avoid that. I don't want to dig that particular issue up. So, you know, whenever I've you know, various challenges at work, it is just praying, yes, praying, but there's no sense of joy. There's no sense of thanksgiving. And then, but praise God, uh, you know, more recently, I've been able to um, uh, find that release to say, yeah, it's all Christ, actually, uh, that my identity and my source of well-being is not going to be in the company. And I remember I, write, I wrote in the, my spiritual journey, that praise God today, I said that yes, uh, the company can, whatever happens, it happens, good or bad, it happens, I can release. And that was like a weight on my shoulders. You know, you take another step towards Christ, 
and you, you, so you're not weighed down or broken apart by what you are anxious about. So Thanksgiving is, is a powerful spiritual weapon against all kinds of, if you can praise with joy and thanksgiving, then the, the, the power of worry and anxiety has very little hold on you. I'm not saying that you will not be stressed. You will still have things to be anxious about. Paul was anxious about his churches, the well-being of his churches. But that the power of anxiety is not going to pull you apart and, and uh, you know, throw you into despair. So Thanksgiving, it is, you know, it's a very powerful thing. But it is also, and this is quite important, it is also remembering and anticipating God's faithful deliverance. You know, you remember, you recall from chapter one, right? Uh, Paul is anticipating God's deliverance. So when we praise with thanksgiving and joy, we are remembering God's faithfulness of the past, not just our past, but the past the old, from the Old Testament, uh, people of God to the present, how God has always been faithful to his people and provided for them, to save them, to redeem them, to heal them, to care for them. You remember that. That's your spiritual heritage. That's not just old stories that we tell ourselves to feel better. That's your spiritual heritage when you come to Christ. But you also remember times in your own life that God has proven himself faithful. You remember that. And thanksgiving and joy will break out. And also, you anticipate for the future, for the present and future circumstances, you anticipate God's faithful deliverance and his provision. Recall again from chapter 1, especially the provision of his spirit. The Holy Spirit the empowering presence of God's Spirit to enable to live under God's peace in the face of setbacks, suffering, and opposition and persecution. You realize, of course, that if you read through the New Testament, let's just say, a lot of the New Testament is actually, if you haven't realized it by now, impossible to obey if on human strength, right? You read through the Sermon on the Mount. Who can actually, on human strength, keep to that? Uh, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And Paul here, you know, rejoicing in the Lord and, you know, praying with uh, thanksgiving. I mean, is is on, on a human side of it, it is impossible to attain that kind of thing. It, it's kind of, it's, it's so unreasonable that unconsciously, a lot of us in church, we read it as some very noble ideas, that we admire from afar and we say that's so nice to read about and then we get on to our own daily activities with all the worry, stress and whatever. But Paul is quite serious. That is something that we need to take hold of. How do we take hold of? It is the provision of God's spirit. Because in, uh, later on in Philippians, you will read Paul telling the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have received salvation, be reverent towards God, but it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good will and pleasure. And so without God working in our lives, of course you cannot be, obviously, how can you rejoice? Without the Spirit, there's no way you can present your petitions with thanksgiving, with anticipation of God's faithful deliverance and provision. And so, based on all of that, present your requests 
to God. What we see is only from a human perspective with all of its limitations, with all of its uh, anxiety, with all of its uh, problems and setbacks. That's on our part of the, you know, prayer, right? It's, we present these requests and petitions, you know, sometimes we've already given up hope, but we're just presenting it because the circumstances, you know, it's not so good. But from God's perspective, He is sovereign. His sovereignty and authority far outstrips whatever circumstances of our requests. As uh, Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, he is able to do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. It's based on that confidence that we present our requests to God. And so just for our reflection, abiding peace comes from abiding in God's presence through prayer, surrounded by praise and thanksgiving. I remember my godmother, Auntie Binglen, uh, when we were growing up, she obviously um, looked after us as well. And I remember she uh, always admonishes us that, you know, you, you, you fellas are, what you call it, uh, just so busy, so caught up with your lives that uh, you don't spend time with God. You, you just give what, you, what she called at that time instant noodle prayers, right? Instant prayer to just say a few words uh, at, towards God and then you go on with your life without having that deep abiding presence uh, in God. And that is true. Um, you know, if, if, if it's just a transactional prayer life where we are just generating a lot of um, instant prayers, which is, of course, not wrong. We should do that. But there is no sense of abiding in God's presence, of sitting, of, of reflection, of reading his word, of really praising him. Then our, um, how do I call it, spiritual life becomes fairly shallow. There are courses uh, available from ICM, our Institutes uh, of Christian Ministry, uh, that helps us go into, say, spiritual retreats and reflective prayer that helps us get a sense of abiding in God's presence. And these are some of the tools that will be helpful for us to um, uh, kind of uh, deepen our spiritual life. But uh, lastly, I want to talk about the peace uh, that overcomes anxiety. This is verse 7 of chapter 4, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So again, that word peace of God is a sense of well-being and wholeness, whereas anxiety tends to break us apart. The divine shalom, the peace of God, brings us together wholly as a whole person and that sense of well-being. And it transcends all understanding, meaning experiencing, and if I may say it, enjoying God's peace need not make sense in the light of the circumstances. You, you may, sometimes we, you know, we say the situation is so bad, it doesn't make sense to have peace. Or, you know, the circumstances are, you know, beyond hope or beyond human reckoning, so... You know, I'm going to be very depressed about it. There's no sense of what, what is God's peace, right? If I cannot understand how um, God is going to resolve that. But experiencing God's peace 
need not make sense, actually. Humanly, we cannot understand how is it going to be resolved or how we're going to work it out. But for God's peace to be operative, it doesn't really, it, it need not make sense to us now. Remember, the peace of God is a function, an integral function of God's sovereign rule and authority. Is it the basis of that authority that we enjoy peace? And that peace guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard there is the same word that they use for a military guard, a military garrison that protects an army camp. So the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are complete in Christ. We are not torn apart. We are kept complete in Christ by God's peace. And so whatever in Christ, remember your joy is already in Christ, whatever plans that you are working on, whatever emotional turmoil or opposition that you're facing, God's peace guards you. He is your refuge. He's your a fortress around you. With God as your guide, you don't have to win every argument. It's not necessary. You don't have to understand every circumstance, how you're going to solve it. You really don't. Because you know there's a higher power that guards you, that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the joys of reading some of the stories in the Old Testament, uh, for example, Second uh, Chronicles uh, 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat facing an overwhelming enemy foe. That kind of, you cannot begin to complement the situation where you know you're going to die because the, the numbers don't favor you and you're marching with a weak force. Opposition is too powerful for you. But you don't have to understand it because the word of the Lord came to the prophet and says, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. You don't have to understand it. You have to be you, you just have to accept it by faith and God's peace that guards us in Christ Jesus. This is the final um, verse. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to uh, unpack it quite a lot, uh, but uh, Paul ends after saying, rejoice in the Lord, do not be anxious, pray with, pray with thanksgiving. Um, but he, he ends off or rounds off uh, by this verse, finally, Whatever is true, noble, good, whatever is uh, excellent, praiseworthy, uh, fix your minds on it, think on it. Now, this is, I'm not going to unpack it too much, but um, it also shows us that, yes, God's peace guards our hearts and minds, but we also have to cultivate a good thought life. Um, it's a lot of things that we take in that, uh, you know, we have to be careful about, and a lot of things we allow ourselves to think on or to dwell in in an unhealthy way. So, for example, you know, bitterness is one easy example. We we fester, we allow fest, bitterness to fester in us because, you know, we're generally thoughts of uh, vengefulness or retaliation. So, it festers in us or, you know, our anxiety about things that even haven't, 
it has not come to pass yet, we are already worrying about it ahead of time, and that festers in us. That's not a good talk. Um, remember the story about the woman, uh, the woman worried about the burglar, right? It can fester in our minds for years because it even haven't happened yet. We are already experiencing it, and that, that kind of thought like, is not healthy. We need to focus or get our thought life uh, correct. And so that if you're thinking about good things, especially good things that the Lord has given you, uh, then that is a little bit more healthier in terms of your environment, uh, of, your, uh, of our mind. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, time is getting on, so I just want to round up <coughs> that living under God's peace is to rejoice. In the, you find your joy because you know that God is at work in your life. And the circumstances cannot rob you of that because God will ensure when you turn to him that God, uh, Christ will be glorified or honored or exalted, whatever the circumstances. Pray with thanksgiving because you know and you anticipate God's faithful deliverance and the provision of his spirit, his Holy Spirit, so that you are empowered to deal with whatever is coming your way. And the peace that transcends all understanding that will bring us together in wholeness instead of being in pieces in anxious thoughts and anxiety. And so I commend to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the divine peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace and the holiness that only God can give to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.